Okay, today we're reading from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Okay, uh, well, good morning, everyone. My name's David. It's uh, great to be gathering together as Christ's people. Uh, would you pray with me as, as we begin? Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, you know our hearts and you know that we are quick to listen to the world around us and we're slow to listen to you. We're often quite deaf towards you. Uh, So, Lord, we need you to give us a spiritual ear to hear your voice, to hear your truth. Uh, We can't create this ourselves. We ask that you give it to us. Please speak to us so that we might find life in you. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, uh, when Em and I <clears throat> moved to Sydney for a few years, we had to go church hunting. Uh, it was a good experience uh, to help us work out what makes for a good church, what's essential and what's just our personal preferences. And after this one particular church service, uh, I decided to do a little experiment to see if it was a good church or not. <clears throat> In a crowd of around 200 people, all around there's guys hugging each other, welcoming each other, laughing together. I assure you this is before COVID came. I walked into the middle of the crowd and stood there by myself to see how long it would take for someone to come up and welcome me. I didn't time it. It was probably only five minutes standing there by myself, but it felt like an hour. It was such an awful feeling. Needless to say, I didn't feel very loved or welcomed, except for one young guy who came up and spoke to me. 
I think being authentically welcoming is a good mark of a healthy church, isn't it? Is that your experience? If the Lord has welcomed us to himself as we are, surely we will extend that welcome to others. What other marks would you look for for a healthy church? Uh, Would it be the quality of coffee at morning tea? Obviously, we're all missing John's coffee uh, while we're online. Maybe you look for engaging teaching, the quality of music, uh, a children's and youth program, an invitation to lunch after the service. But what, what do you look for? What's your criteria? Imagine you're moving to Newcastle again and you walk into Grace Evangelical Church at Glendale. What criteria would you consider essential Uh, and what's just your personal preference? Have we been a healthy church while online? Will we be a healthy church when we regather at Glendale? I've got a book about this very thing. Uh, It's called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. I'm just going to list off what's in the contents page. I think there's some good stuff in here. Number one, first mark, expositional preaching. What we're doing right now, going through a book of the Bible bit by bit, letting God set the agenda for the topic, not the preacher listening to God's word bit by bit as our daily diet. Number two, biblical theology, seeing the whole Bible as a unified message pointing to Christ. Number three, being clear on what the gospel is and what it isn't. Number four, a biblical understanding of conversion. Number five, of evangelism. Number six, of church membership. Number seven, of church discipline, taking immorality seriously as a community. Number eight, a concern for discipleship and growth, spiritual maturity. And number nine, biblical church leadership. Now, I'm not here to plug this book, even though there's a lot of good stuff in it. I've got a different point to make. According to these nine marks, I'd say we're a healthy church. And I would gladly recommend any newcomers to many more healthy churches in the Hunter region. The church we're about to hear about in Revelation 2, the church in Ephesus, from what we know of it, and according to our criteria, they were a healthy church church but as we lift the veil between earth and heaven christ reveals what's really going on in his church how does he see it because how he sees it is what is actually true he says ephesus had a fatal flaw So whatever our assumptions are about what makes a healthy church, 
we need to listen to Christ's assessment of his people. And that's what we're doing in this series, listening to the letters to the seven churches. So before we zoom in, or I didn't mean to use that phrase, as before we focus in on Ephesus, let's just briefly survey what Christ thinks of his seven churches. Historically, there was at least 10 local churches in the Asia region at the time of John's vision. So why only seven uh, letters? As John spoke about earlier, seven is uh, a pattern in Revelation. There's a rhythm to this book. There's seven scenes. It's in this picture book. And the first scene is focused on Christ's church. And each letter has a seven-point structure to it. And where, where a letter doesn't follow that seven-point structure, we should pay attention and ask why. So seven seems to be important in Revelation. It seems to be a way of saying this is the complete story. This is what the church is really like from a heavenly perspective. It seems most natural to take these letters as speaking into real churches with real situations. But every church needs to read every letter because it deals with topics that are relevant to all God's people at all times. So we need to listen up. And we also need to hear all seven letters not just align ourselves with one of them. If we just pick one of them, then we're taking charge of our own assessment of what we're like. We need to listen to Christ's complete word to his church to see what the church looks like from his perspective. And notice something else. That the local church are pictured as golden lampstands. This reminds us of the lampstands in the Lord's tabernacle and temple in his holy presence. This is a priestly picture. As Christ was the faithful witness of God to us, so now the local church is to be the light of the world, witnessing to God's truth and love. Put simply, lampstands are meant to give off light amidst the darkness. So what does the risen and glorious Christ think of his local church? Well, the main thing to say is out of all heaven and earth, local gatherings of his people are his primary attention. He who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. He died for his church and he is present, walking among his people, relating, speaking through his word. We might look at our church, we might look at other churches and 
we might think they're pretty ordinary. During lockdown, society might conclude that churches aren't essential. But as the veil is lifted between heaven and earth, we see that Christ's consuming passion is his people. And so our consuming passion should be to reflect Christ's passion. Okay, so now that we've spent some time looking at the big picture of the letters, let's, let's focus in on what Christ says to Ephesus and says to us in as much as we share in common with Ephesus. So have a look at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, as David mentioned last week, it's difficult to be precise whether the seven stars, which are the angels, represent human preachers or are they literal heavenly messengers whom the Lord assigns to look after his local churches. It's hard to tell, but everywhere else in Revelation, angel literally means heavenly angel. Whatever the case, it's clear by the content that the whole church is meant to hear and respond to the letters. And who's speaking? Is it just John? It's not just John. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. The Lord who has the armies of heaven at his disposal has his church in his firm grip. They are protected in his hand. And no matter how ordinary our worship of Christ seems on any given Sunday, whether the sermon is dull or our singing is a bit off key or our prayers are a bit muddled, here we see what's really going on. We are relating with the risen Christ. He is with us. As in the Garden of Eden, the Lord is walking among his people. He is near to us. And so he sees the Ephesians' zeal and he praises them for it. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Ephesus didn't put up with false teaching that leads people away from God and to death. They hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which Christ also hates. Now we know little of the Nicolaitans, except by the teaching, by their teaching, they led people away from Christ. This wasn't a threat from outside the church. It was people inside the church claiming to be the true and better version of Christianity. But the Ephesians tested the teachers according to God's word and they found them to be false. They loved truth. They loved uh, goodness. They didn't put up with evil behaviour. They didn't put up with immorality. They're even willing to endure hardship simply for being Christians, defending gospel truth, hating immorality, 
immorality, persevering for Christ's sake. Even when other people despise them for it, Christ is here, he sees, he knows, and he praises what is genuinely praiseworthy. I think we should remember that the next time you don't feel appreciated. Christ sees and he knows. Let's do it for his sake. Ephesus was a solid church. It looked really good. But one thing's wrong. Despite so much good, the one issue is so serious that Christ warns, I will remove your lampstand from its place. I will come and shut the church down. One thing. What is this critical issue? Verse 4. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Is this love for Christ or love for one another in the church that they have abandoned? Perhaps that's not even the right question. Love for God and love for one another are inseparable. But one is first. One is primary and leads to the other. A heart consumed and devoted to the Lord overflows in love for his children. The church at Ephesus, they had the form of being passionate followers of Christ, but in their heart, they weren't loving him. They weren't worshipping him. They had the form of a solid gold lampstand, but their light was barely flickering. How does a person and a church get to this point? How can we abandon our original love? We're not told exactly, and perhaps it's left open on purpose so that you and I reflect on our own hearts. It's probably gradual, bit by bit over time. A man doesn't wake up one morning and decide to commit adultery that day. It is a gradual redirection of his attention and his heart's desire. The very deeds of serving his wife that once were the overflow of his devotion and passion for her can become the very excuse for letting his heart wander off somewhere else. Christ is jealous to have your heart. He is jealous for the heart of his bride, the church. I think we've got a choice now. Will you hear the Lord's criticism as unfair and harsh because all the things you do aren't enough? Or you hear his call to redirect your passion back to him 
as the words of the one who will not settle for anything less than wholehearted, joyful intimacy with him. Now, I don't think true passion always burns with high emotions. So if you're not feeling high on emotions, feeling close to God, I I don't want you to feel guilty about that. But we all know the difference between doing what feels like a joyless duty compared to when your heart is consumed with something so much so that your passion for it just propels you into action. We all know the difference. Christ wants all of our heart, our soul and mind and strength. So how does he call us to respond? He gives us three steps for us to do. Look at verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. So number one, we need to keep remembering our original passion. When we think back to when you first grasped how much God loves you in the death of his son for you, how satisfied was your heart? It it felt like you need nothing else. That was enough. That commitment to change your entire life for his sake, that desire for everyone around you to experience God's love as you have. Keep on remembering that state of total worship from the heart and see where you've fallen from. Don't settle for going through the motions. Now, my personal experience is that this is a daily battle. My heart does not wake up in the morning in love with Jesus. It wakes up in love with the world. I think this is a constant call to remember and not to settle. Secondly, we've got to repent. This is a conscious decision to take action. Don't wait until you feel something before you do anything about it. It's impossible to conjure up passion from within yourself. You need to go to the object outside of yourself to stir up your heart's desire. We need to go to him, listen to him, see him afresh. Then when you find him or he finds you, the third thing is do the works you did at first. Here's the fruit of the first and second step. Like a fountain, a heart that is satisfied in in the love of Christ will overflow. When you're content in him, you will overflow in love for other people. The Ephesians were commended for their hard work. But there's a difference between slogging it out and the loving service that is motivated by a content heart in him. And we don't need to wonder where to find him. We don't need to uh, have a mystical experience or go to a lofty mountain 
we're told right here how we meet with him. The Holy Spirit is speaking his words to us. The Spirit is continually speaking the words of Christ written down for us. That's where we meet him primarily. The question is, do we have an ear to hear him? Do we want to hear him? And here's what's promised to you if you do. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Adam in the garden was expelled from God's presence, cut off from eternal life, found only in relationship with the Lord. And we've all followed in his footsteps. Our natural inclination is to follow the rest of the world, to live apart from God. But it doesn't work. What faith looks like is to actively fight against that natural inclination and the ways of this world. It is to believe that life can only be found walking with God in peace and fellowship. Faith is a struggle for a heart satisfied in Christ. If you're struggling, excellent. That's great. That's what you're called to. That's why we gather as his people to help each other in that struggle. Do you hear Christ's promise to you? The struggle will one day be over and we will be satisfied fully in the presence of God. Christ alone has the right to give it to you. This struggle isn't an earning. He's already got the victory over your sin by his death on the cross. But we need to struggle to keep fighting the fight of joy in him. He promises this is your reward. You will have your heart's desire. So are we at Grace a healthy church? If we think solid ministry programs and re-establishing all the good external marks of a healthy church is what will keep our light burning in the community, then just as we're presuming that we're about to open the doors at Glendale, Christ might be on his way to shut it down. External form is not enough. Let's not settle for it. Let's let our light shine before the world. What will determine our, our health as a church is down to each one of us to continually check our hearts, returning again and again and again every day to our original love of Christ. And we're not alone in that. The Spirit is here helping us. And we're, we are a church called to serve one another in helping one another keep that passion going. If you're like me, you might be fearing you don't have it in you to produce this passion. And that's true, you don't. 
I don't, I don't have the power to change my heart. But there's one who does. The one who holds the seven stars, having all authority in heaven and earth, whose words are like a sword that breaks through our hardness of heart. He alone has the power to give us a spiritual ear to hear him. I think we need to keep asking him for an ear to hear him. He has the power. And even if he feels a million miles away, the curtain has been lifted. Remember, he is with us. He is walking among his people. His spirit is speaking. As we sing together and learn together and pray together and encourage and cry together as a church family, let's do it in a way that's in tune with reality, what's actually going on, that Christ is present with us. Our passion will revive in as much as we anticipate the future he promises us. One day very soon, you're a day, you're a week, you're a year closer, we will be walking with the Lord in his paradise. We have a taste of it now in the church, but gee, (laughs) it's going to be so much better. We're going to be eating from the tree of life as a free gift, going for an afternoon stroll in the cool of the day with the Lord. Trusting in his power, trusting he is present, trusting his promise is going to keep our light as a church shining. Will you pray with me? Let's pray to finish. Lord God in heaven, Uh, We thank you that you do have all power, that you have conquered death, that you have conquered our sin, that you have conquered Satan and the world, that you hold us in your right hand, that you are with us by your spirit through your word. Lord, we thank you that by your grace alone, you promise to give us life in abundance with yourself. Father, I pray for each one of us that you would take hold of our hearts. Give us hearts that are consumed with you. You know how prone we are to wander away. Bring us back again and again. Lord, bring glory to your name through Grace Evangelical Church. Make us a people who love you from the heart and show it in love for one another. Keep us from just mere external works, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening.